Well, we're calling tonight uh, the launch of One Conversations. And uh, what the hope for tonight is, is just to, again, inform and refresh us, uh, no matter where we're at in this moment. It's a hard moment. And it's a moment I've never lived through. And, um, and so Rick and Jill invited Carly and me on a conversation with about 25 other couples from around the U.S. last week. And just being uh, invited into something like that was really special. And then hearing from other couples, not only Rick and Jill, that was special. And so um, hopefully we can maybe interact with some of you tonight as well. Uh, Rick spent 35 years in the finance world on Wall Street, traveling the world, and uh so he, about 10 years ago, uh, launched a, a mentoring ministry in network to pour into the next generation of leaders across the U.S. And of course, Jill is right there with him, uh, helping lead Telemachus. Um, but beyond that, Jill is a phenomenal marriage and family therapist that I had the privilege of working with at the Center for Hope and Renewal in New England that you've heard me talk about. Uh, from the pulpit a number of times. And so I, I asked them, hey, would you help kick this kind of one conversations idea off? And they uh, graciously agreed. And so with that, tonight's focus is going to be on marriage. And then we hope to uh, focus on other key topics uh, in the weeks ahead. So for instance, how do we deal with disruption and grief? Uh, how do we grow as parents? Um, how do we learn to pray? Stuff like that. And so just stay tuned for other opportunities. Uh, so with that, can we, uh, our staff on our, in our virtual calls, we, we do some silly stuff. So instead of clapping and wel- welcoming Rick and Jill, we're going to do spirit fingers tonight. So welcome them with some spirit fingers, everybody. There's spirit fingers. I don't know. We're just way of welcoming in the back. All right. Jill and Rick, Welcome. Okay, so Paul is the kind of person you can't say no to. How many, wave your hand if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) He's just the kind of person, yeah. Okay, so, um, and he's also the kind of person, I want to brag on him for a second, when he left, which we were all, we're still mourning, but we all agree that he's the kind of person who leaves you feeling better about yourself than you did when you started the conversation. So we love these guys, and when they said, would you come join us, um, it wasn't an option um, to not say yes. Plus, we love what we do, and um, we get to be with you, which is kind of fun, meet you all for the first time. And as you now know, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and things are tough right now. Things are especially tough for families with children, because even though some part of our adult brains can partially comprehend the restrictions that we have right now, children can't. How many of you have children, little children under 15 at home? Raise your hands. Okay. So that's a lot of you. Um, my heart goes out to you because most of you are really hurting and struggling right now. As I said to a friend, um, Rick and I are learning how to dance in a shoebox right now, but we're adults. We can figure that out. And we figured out the dance. But for children, there's never been anything like this in our um in our history, there are a few couples that I'm connected to 
who are really loving this. They're savoring the simplicity of this time, being together as a family, taking walks in nature, a few things like that. But they're the exception. This couple also is appreciating each other a ton. Bottom line is most people are really hurting. And I'm going to give you a simple little construct that I think is tried and true. There are five priorities that work. And when we scramble them, it doesn't work. And the first priority is God and self-care. The second priority is your spouse. The third is your children. The fourth is your work. And the fifth is other. And right now, this other, this huge COVID virus, everything else we're trying to juggle is making spouses feel unappreciated. Kids are scrambled. So it is very easy in times of stress to lose your priorities and lose what most of you have heard about. What are the rocks in your life? What are the relationships that are most important? So the thing that I'm encouraging people to do is please speak up before you blow up because there's not a whole lot of room. Um, And it's important. And my practical advice is something I call Mind the Gap. And the gap is an acronym for gratitude. Anxiety and gratitude can't exist in the same brain. Okay. Gap is gratitude, appreciation, and play. And I'll explain play. But gratitude, y'all hear this all the time. But I want to say that gratitude and anxiety can't exist in the brain at the same time. It's either going from the emotional brain to the prefrontal cortex. And those of you who are doctors and scientists understand what I'm saying. The practice of gratitude is not just something we read in the Bible. It's not just something that is good pop science. It's actually good brain chemistry. And it's actually very soothing and very calming. So, And we articulate it out loud. It's a good thing. Appreciation. I have yet to meet an overappreciated spouse. And I really want to be, I want to meet one. Um, You don't feel that way, do you, dear? Uh, and play find some place to do something that's not task oriented even if it's 10 minutes of um, coloring or playing the guitar or whatever it is because we tend to be so focused but now we're in this for more than a couple of weeks and we can sometimes lose the fact that we have more options we have little bits of space here and there to play so that's my little summary from the top there's more later but I'm going to turn it over to Rick so, and I would um, just punctuate the gratitude piece. Jill and I, for about 15 years, have have been practicing gratitude every night. So, the last things we say to each other uh, when lights are going off is, give me three gratitudes for the day. And, again, we've done this every night. I don't can't remember when we skipped. If we're traveling, we do it on the phone. And it's just, it could be any three things for the day. And then... I will do it, then Jill will do it. And there's something about ending the day on a gratitude note instead of anxiety. I didn't do this or I had this tomorrow. And it's so easy to go there. And there, so that's how we've been doing it. But now we've tried to amp it up. Why don't you give an example of the three things you're grateful for today so we can... Well, I had a f- phenomenal conversation with one of our daughters who lives in uh, Madrid. And they've been locked down for over five weeks and um, a chance to be on this call and see Carly and Paul again, who are great friends. And uh, I'm grateful for you. How about that? That's good. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be about your spouse. I'm grateful that I walked with a new friend this morning. 
um, someone I never met before and invited her to join a Bible study. Um, I'm grateful for the beauty of the water I get to look out of when I come out of this bedroom and go into the other room. It's really pretty and the temperature's nice so I can walk outside. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do my job and be a little more comfortable with it than I was when I first started doing this online. Anyway, I just said, as I wanted to punctuate this, because I think this is a time when we can all really lean into that. And our assurance is that this really works. And it's a great thing to teach the kids as well. So I'm sure many of you do have had your version of this. But anyway, uh, what I like to say, especially to the guys for the moment right now is you know, I'm a big NFL fan, and what we what we call, Jill and I call uh, young marrieds, often with kids, that you're in the red zone. And, you know, that you're inside the 20-yard line, and things are really getting, getting tough, and pressure's on. And so, not only are you in the red zone, but I think this particular season we're in, the short season, is the Super Bowl that this is probably the, you know, one of the greatest tests your marriage will have. And so it's time to really step up. And two, two uh, things that I really like to focus on and encourage you is, uh, is on this appreciation piece that, as Jill said, there's no such thing as an overappreciated spouse. And I've, you know, since this started every morning, I, I open the blinds and go give Jill a kiss before first thing. So little thing, but it, it can mean a lot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, again, you can't almost can't overdo this. And secondly, and importantly, is that you are equal partners in this venture and that this is a true joint venture and it, Eliminate the word, I'm going to help with the kids, or I'm going to help with this. It's, you know, you're sharing all this. And so it's too easy for us in our culture to say, well, you know, I'll help you out with this. And what happened? Are you talking to men in particular? Yes, I said I was speaking to the men. So um, anyway, this is a time to really step up and make sure that you really are carrying the the load here equally. I'd say one other thing, and this is to everybody, is that um, I really think this is a time, it's a test of test of our faith and grace, not only for our spouse and uh, how how you know, Jill can say some things at, at the wrong time at the, that don't feel so good, and vice versa. And I and so it's really having grace not only for your 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 spouse but also for yourself. I have a young friend I was talking to, and this is right at the beginning of this whole crisis. And he said uh, he was not pleased with how he was reacting. And he said, be prepared to see the worst side of yourself. And I think that's, that's really true. So uh, one other thing I want to say is that I, uh, we have some great friends who are about 40 and they lived in Houston and Hurricane Katrina flooded their house out and destroyed it. And they decided that they and the three boys would would buy an Airstream and go around the country. And they did that for 18 months in a little Airstream with three boys, I think six, eight, and 10. And so 
when this all happened, they said, man, this is, this is like deja vu. We've seen this. We've done this before because they were in this little box for 18 months. And they said three things that really stuck with me. And that was, especially if you're trying to homeschool, uh, let go of expectations. You know, not, not everything has to be right. You know, you're not trained teachers. And so relax, it's going to be okay. And two is maintain regular contact with your friends, both one-on-one and, and hopefully a few two-on-twos, couple to couple. And don't let your spouse be the only uh, support you have. And three, and maybe most importantly, is they found that that conflict in that small space, they said, became almost unbearable at times. And that it was a, it became a tremendous growing experience for them and for their family because you said there was just no way to hide. The kids could see the conflict. And so they really had to model forgiveness. And they said as a result that they showed their kids that conflict was normal and there are ways to work this out. So anyway, it was a it was an interesting lesson from some young people who had who had done this before. So those are my my thoughts. We have plenty more to share, but I think it's time to turn it back to Carly and Paul. Um, I am muted. I am unmuted. Oh, first of all, that that was fantastic. I asked them to share about 10 or 15 minutes worth of just reflections and best practices. So thank you. Um, you know, one of the questions that I think you just addressed, Rick, but are there any words or expectations? Me want we we might want to avoid for the well-being of our marriages during this pandemic. Any, any specific words or expectations? You already addressed, hey, I can help with the kids. No, we're partnering or sharing. Um, so that's one. I know, Jill, last week on the call, one of the things I think any type A can confess to is trying to, like, right when this pandemic hit, like, maximize the moment. You know, how do we you know, all that language of like, um, you know, hyper-production language. And you, and you you just said that's really yeah. unhealthy. So can you speak to that stuff? What are yeah. some things you I think to- when this first happened in the first two weeks, people were trying to outdo each other with what I call the Instagram photos of, you know, their homeschooling ventures and the amazing feast they prepared and, you know, making each other feel incredibly insecure, even more uncomfortable than before. And I'm saying, please don't go there. Please accept that if your children are fed and they get to bed, that's enough. If they have something to wear, that's okay. Uh, If they uh, still call you mom and dad, that's okay. We don't have to ace this thing. But I think, frankly, those posts are destructive and really, honestly, I would say of the devil. Um, they're not helping anybody because this is real. This is hard, and um, it's not—it's not encouraging. Um, we're doing the best we can. I fundamentally believe that every person at every moment is doing the best he or she can under the circumstances with the information that he or she has. And the kindest thing we can do is not post pictures of perfection to make other people feel bad. So. That's telling it pretty straight. Rick, do you want to add anything to that? Anything we want to avoid? Mm. No, uh, nothing's really popping up right now. I'm sure I'll, it, something will come up and I'll, I will jump in. Yeah. 
What are you mentioned some of the best practices? Um, so just to repeat that, what what are some simple best practices? Um, you've talked about the gratitude piece, the appreciation piece, the play piece. Um, maybe I'll throw this to Carly. Actually, what are some of our? Because we've got all this written down ahead of time. Yeah. Um, what are some? What are some of the things that we have done or you have done that you have found life giving for our marriage in this moment? I didn't know you were on the spot here. Um. Well, we have we normally take walks every day just to get out of the house and really get away from our children. So um, we can talk about things with them, not like, you know, we'll hear what we're saying. So um, we've continued that pretty much daily. Um, We've probably walked more than we have in our whole lives in the last four or five weeks. (laughs) Um, What else? You know, the two words that, as I ask the question, um, that come to mind are structure and space. Um, structure for the things that matter have, has proven to be predictable and helpful. Um, so we have, and it's different for everybody, but for us, one of the things I'm grateful for, for, uh, from a church perspective, but also marriage perspective, we, we really find like getting in God's word, really life-giving. Like that's an anchor for us every single day. We don't do it together, actually. We do it alone, but we might then process that together. So that's, for us, um, we start our day like that. Um, now, others kind of end their day like that. Some of my staff, they, they actually have it locked to go into the scriptures later in the day. But I think either way, to create a, a rhythm of when do we engage God, um, number one. Second, when do we engage our family? One of the gifts of this pandemic is we've had more family meals than we've had in months, like honestly. And uh, it, before, if I'm honest, with all the sports, family meals just felt like a, another um, just thing on the calendar before that we had to fit in and be happy about, right? Can anyone relate? Um, but now they are an anchor for our kids. So that's another structure. And then the last kind of structure is going on walks. And that leads me to the whole space thing. Um, We need space for our own marriage um, from the kids. And so we go on a nightly walk and I might double down and even go on a nightly drive. So like to nowhere. We've never done this in our marriage that I can remember except when we had a young newborn and the only way the newborn would sleep was when we drove the newborn. But it, I mean, fast forward to we're 21 years into our marriage. We just drop literally do circles around Daniel Island and there's no agenda other than to create space. And so um, the structure to kind of anchor us into what matters, those relationships and the space to just allow us to breathe and process and, reconnect you know with in whatever way and that doesn't even have to be even as a couple like there's times that both carly and i just need space from even each other and so we'll just go on a walk or we'll go on a run or we'll go on a drive and so i think just almost giving permission to one another to do that is actually so gracious 
to say like, of course you need that. Like go take a breather. And we're all, we're all processing this in different ways. Uh, for those on the call, you'll hear I out myself, how I approached the pandemic um, and how Carly approached it. You'll hear that this coming Sunday. We process challenging situations differently and that's okay. What's not okay is to say my way is right and your way is wrong. And then there can be a wedge in the relationship. Um, I would like, you know, I would actually like to hear, we don't have too many couples on the call, but at this point, maybe, and, and just create space for others to share. So if you could keep your answer short, but what are one or two things you might be doing to uh, just cultivate your marriage or even just care for your marriage in this time? <clears throat> Paul, or, well, 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 oh, sorry. Is there someone? Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, hey. Uh, hi, everyone. Good to see you. Rick, Jill, thank you for doing this. This is great. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, with you. <laughs> um, to your question, Paul, I, I, for me, I think one of the things that I've, I've really been very intentional about that I'm, I'm trying to be very intentional about is giving grace, as I think uh, Jill or Rick had mentioned, that that I'm 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 trying to remind myself and everyone in my family that uh, each of us is going to have a bad day. There, there's going to be it's it's okay to not be okay, and that everyone in the family just needs to kind of respect that and not take it personally and not get offended by it, and just chalk it up as a bad day. And uh, just about everybody in our family's had at least one bad day so far. So. And what's what's helpful is we we're we're able to say, look, I'm just having a bad day, and everyone can kind of respect that. And um, that's been one thing that I've been more generous with through this than I have uh, historically been. So, do you have anything you want to share, Trisha? No, just I'll I'll just piggyback on Mike that today was my bad day, <laughs> and okay. the day is not over yet. And Great I've been working from the. Second, my, you know, eyes opened in my bed this morning. I knew it was not a good day for me. Mm. And I um, called on the Lord all day to ask for um, help because it was a bad day for me. Mm. And it was a beautiful day outside and I have no complaints and there's nothing wrong in my life and we're all healthy and safe. So there's nothing to have a bad day about, but I did. And, um, so like Mike said, we sat around the dinner table and just said, it's okay to have a bad day. And mom's having a bad day today. And um, I think that's healthy too, mm-hmm. just to acknowledge it. Amen. I just want to follow up. I think people expect the older you get in your faith walk or whatever position you're in, the easier it gets. And there are certain days, this is true honesty, raw honesty, where all I can pray is help, Lord. Help help me, help us, Lord. And um, I can't even read scripture some days. I actually just have to play it and let it fall on me and, you know, come to me. I, there, are, there are tough days. So I appreciate your vulnerability, Tricia. Uh, others, what, what are you um, learning? 
practicing. Hey, can you hear me? Hey, yeah. Hey, Joe. You know, we we've uh, this space thing is we kind of like it because we've just downsized from uh, six to uh, two because our kids moved out right before all this happened. <laughs> so we're kind of enjoying it in a way. The only thing that we don't like about it is we just can't go to our favorite restaurant stuff like that. So it's kind of a an inconvenience for us. And it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't go shopping and stuff like that. Right. But. Um, you know, to your point, being in the Word, I think uh, I mentioned this earlier on our small group thing. Um, we do a daily devotional we do in the morning, and uh, we're, we're following the Bible app. And I think there's a theme that runs through both things that we're doing about being grateful and trusting in the Lord. And I personally, I think that's helped us um, move through this in um, a better way. Um, and, you know, if even though you might be a lousy uh, gin rummy player and lose all the time, you should always play cards with your spouse when she That's wants to right. play. That's right. Okay? <laughs> I'm just terrified she's going to ask me to play Scrabble. <laughs> and then I, I'm going to need a dictionary if I do that. So, <laughs> But uh, I don't know. That's kind of where we are. I mean, it's we're somewhat enjoying it. And I think one of the things for me personally is, I've developed projects that I can do that keeps me not hyper productive, but it's things that I need to do one for my health. You know, I, I, I can't be a couch potato. I need to get out and do something. And I walk a lot. We, we go out for walks uh, every day and um, sometimes I push it. And sometimes I'm like, why did I do that? So um, I don't know. And I just meet and between my wife and I, Terry, I, I think one of the things is I think we know each other after 39 years, who's having a bad day and who's having a good day. And, you know, we kind of yield and try to support each other in that. So it's, it's a time also to kind of fine tune those antenna that, um, you know, where people are in, uh, or where each of us are in our relationship and in our day. And you think that, yeah. yeah so. Beautiful. Others. Hey y'all. Um, I guess one thing that I'm trying to do is uh, I'm actually still going to work every day. So <laughs> I guess from that standpoint, I'm a little bit different than most right now, but Taylor is staying home with our uh, one and a half year old daughter, which, and she's also 33 weeks pregnant. So, um, my aim when I get home from work every day is to try to give her a break and, uh, you know, just take our daughter on a bike ride or you know, play outside while she can hang out inside and listen to a podcast or just uh, even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes, try to create that space for her. Um, obviously, I'm not perfect at it, but try to try to hit it more days than I don't. Mm. Um, so that's one thing I'm trying to do. I mean, Beautiful. Yeah. Hi. We have, little, we have little ones, so it's hard to get away and do a walk without the kids because <laughs> they're clinging with us. But um, 
I think for me, just trying to make memories out of, you know, being stuck in the house and, you know, having little ones around. My friend had sent me a, I was finding the quote saying like this year's 2036 and I'm in an eerie quiet house and both of my kids are grown and have moved out and I'd do anything to be quarantined with my five and two year old and hear their sounds of their tiny feet running all over the house. And so, you know, to hear that quote and just to keep playing that day, you know, they're going to be grown one day and like enjoy the time that you have with them. And we're just trying to make the most of it. And thank, thankfully we have nice weather, <laughs> been getting my tan on <laughs> being outside. Um, fresh air does me good. So um, the yesterday I went into my office for the first time and I told brother, that was like the first bit of like normalcy for me just to go into an office and sit down in my old surroundings and um, that helped a lot. So I may do that weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you were saying, the drive and the walks and just get out and have some time to yourself and with each other. That's good. Anyone else want to share a best practice? Can you hear us? Yes. Uh, I'm just going to share that Frederick made dinner tonight. And it was awesome. (laughs) This is like a once a year occurrence. (laughs) (laughs) But But it was so, you know, it's more than just like eating food that you didn't have to make. It was really made my day. Nancy, how, how about once a once a week instead of once a day? Once. <laughs> how about every other night? <laughs> yeah, I need to do more than just help. Well, Frederick is working two jobs. In fairness, so he's a medical doctor. And We're teasing. He, yeah, yeah, and um, he's uh, in the Air Force too, and some of his people are up in New York. Mm. So our hearts are with your people in your unit. Um, okay, well. You know, I'm going to open it up to questions here in a minute, but I do want to ask this question. Um, Beyond the pandemic, what are some keys, Rick and Jill, uh, to a lasting marriage? Okay. I'm going (laughs) to do with what pops into my mind first. Yes. The number one thing that all humans hate is rejection. God wired us that way. And in every couple, with one exception that I've met in 20 years, one person hates abandonment more and one person hates criticism more. And those are two sides of the rejection coin. And when you figure out who's who, because we all hate both. Nobody wants to be abandoned and nobody wants to be criticized. But understanding that for me, criticism is really tough. And for Rick, he didn't want to be abandoned. And it doesn't mean that he likes criticism either. Or that I like being abandoned, but figuring that out and understanding that about your partner, caring for your partner's vulnerable side, caring for your partner's weaknesses, caring for their deepest pain, respecting those words that are going to be the ones that most hurt them in, a chi- in their childhood or growing up. Keeping that safe and sacred is probably the most important thing because the foundation of your marriage underneath everything else is safety and trust. Think about your car seats. What are they called? Safety and connection, right? Click. You don't have any connection without safety. And if you're not tuned in to what really can hurt your partner um, 
and you don't have those conversations about their love languages or about what, what bothers you the most. I imagine your wheels are spinning right now. Um, this is where you care for each other, not in the good times, but in the hard times and in the places that each of us, by virtue of being alive, we've had pain. So what would you add to that? Um, well, what we like to say is that uh, I'm in my sixth marriage to my first wife. <laughs> so we're in marriage 6.0 because uh, the uh, Jill that I met when she was 1.0 is very different than 6.0. So uh, grow with your spouse and watch the wonderful man or woman that she or he is going to become. Uh, the two things that I, I like to emphasize, uh, one is a fun one, and that is uh, every couple needs to, and this is especially when you have kids, every couple needs to get away, just the two of you, for a minimum of three days once a year, uh, and hopefully if you can get a little longer, even better. But no kids, no in-laws, no friends, just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be really hard to structure that, but trust us that just doing that is really, really important. And there's a lot of couples who never do that and they pay the price. I've never met a couple in serious crisis who had done that within the last decade. Okay. So it's not a have to, but people our age told us that when we had three little kids and to me, it felt like a privilege um, and a luxury, but they said, this is not a luxury. This is a have to. Um, this is necessary. And I tell my clients one day to get there, one day to remember why you fell in love with this person and one day to start packing up and go home. So that's your minimum because you've got one day to remember why you fell in love (laughs) because what happens to the layer of intimacy and connection that we all have when we first get married, it gets layered on with all the parenting jobs and all of the executive functioning and all the management. And right now all the COVID stress. So that intimacy, which is, far more than our intimate relationships. It's everything that involves being known and being seen. It needs airtime. And I completely concur with what Rick said. The other thing is, is, uh, is not because I'm uh, married to one, but what we say is that every marriage, let's put it this way, we get coaching for everything we do. Sports, music, uh, executive coaching, you know, you name it in every part of our life, we can have some form of coaching, but we don't do this for our marriage. This is, it's like buying the nicest Mercedes in the, in the, uh, in the showroom and driving it out of the, of the lot with the hood welded shut. And you're never going to get any maintenance. This is, this is crazy. Marriage is hard. And we have this institution of getting married. We have this big party and celebration. And then we set set the couple off and say, live happy, love, happily ever after. It just doesn't work that way. So what we advocate is that every couple should seek out coaching and let's, let's rebrand from being counseling because often that's seen as a, uh, a troubling thing or a problem thing. No, every, we need, we need coaching is good, is best practice. So go see a, a good coach once or twice a year and take your time finding one you, you both like it's the best money that's, that's a lot cheaper than, than uh, legal help when your marriage is in real trouble. <laughs> or, uh, and anyway, it's, it's not because I'm married to one and Paul's a, is a former therapist. Let me add to that. We do this ourselves. And people say, why do you do that? You know this. I said, because I'm inside my own system. 
I can't see outside my own system. So we practice what we preach in this regard. We have three married daughters. We say, look, you need extra funds for coaching. That may look like a luxury to us, to you, but it's an emergency. You get it because, um, and please go seek out someone's help when you have a small problem. If one of you had a little lump somewhere in your body, how long would you wait before you made your partner go to a doctor? Maybe two weeks maximum. But when we have a lump in our relationship, we just wish it away. We just hope it's going to go. We just kind of sweep it under the rug. But let me tell you, in my practice, and those of you who are therapists understand this, the statistics are that 90% of couples wait too long till they have what I call stage four marriage cancer before they seek out professional help rather than coming in when they have a little lump and then they can find a lot of joy and support and relief um, and actually find out that what they thought was some huge problem most of the time is pretty darn normal. But that's only when you deal with a little lump. So please folks deal with the little lumps before they grow to big lumps. Really good, really good. Well, let's open this up to questions now. Um, and I, I just probably ask that we keep them around marriage and family related topics. So do any of you have questions for Rick and Jill for your season of life um, that can maybe help you? Yeah, uh, this is Ryan. Thanks so much for, for doing this. Uh, the, the concept of abandonment and rejection is interesting. I was just wondering if you could flesh that out a little bit more because obviously um, yeah, just curious about it. Is, it had my mind spinning. I wish I had a visual, but imagine a coin that's a rejection coin and one side of it is abandonment and the other side is criticism. Those are the two ways we primarily experience rejection, either somebody coming at us with a not good enough or moving away because we feel not good enough. Or those are the two ways we experience it. And typically in partnerships with one exception in my 20 years, one person tends to be more sensitive to criticism and one person tends to be more sensitive to abandonment and it's just a simple little model and you can flush it out with your own family. But does that make sense? Well, another way I put it is, uh, or another way to look at it and see if you agree with this is uh, in most relationships, there's a, there's a pursuer and a withdrawer in our relationship. <clears throat> I tend to tend to retreat in, in conflict and Jill t tends to move in and, and amp up. And it took us a long time to understand that and to uh, the more we could understand what was going on, the easier it was to deal with. And we found little ways to, to defuse that. So I don't know if that's true in, in, in the couples that are, I see on the screen here, but I would bet that for many of you, there's, there's one who, when conflict starts, you start leaning in more and more and then the other one wants to retreat to their cave. Um, so, because people only remember stories, we'll tell you what happened when I was enormously pregnant with our second child. Um, we were having one of those moments and I'm sitting on the bed looking like a dirigible and Rick has his back to me in the bathroom about 20 feet away. And I said something to the effect, you're just an iceberg and I can't get to you. And, but I said it with a little more heat than that, as you might imagine. 
And um, he turned around and uncharacteristically made this thing. He goes, and you are a giant sponge and I can never fill you up. And it was such a funny visual in that moment that we both started laughing. And I believe humor can be an incredible way of diffusing the tension. So the iceberg and the sponge became our code language for Rick saying, you're too much for me. And my saying, hey, I need a little more of you. So mm. if you can come up with something that's comparably funny in your shorthand, you will find it a, a playful way rather than pathologizing, you know, you're just a stonewaller or you're just, you know, aggressive or assertive. Those words are loaded, but there's nothing loaded about iceberg and um, sponge. So the, the, there is a parallel to the disliking criticism and disliking abandonment, but they don't necessarily line up. But the truth is we have different styles. What do you, what do, you do with that uh, if, you, if you realize that one is, one is one and one is the other? What do you do with it? Mm -hmm. um, what I was saying before is you pay attention to how does somebody feel like, I know that Rick wants more time with me than I will ever want with him, okay? That doesn't mean I don't adore the guy, but it's just the way it is. I like my alone time. I like my space. I like my privacy. I like my whatever. But I have to be sensitive to the fact that he wants more of me than I can ever give. So he would be more on the abandonment side. Rick, on the other hand, has to be pretty darn careful about making a comment about my looks, my dinner, my cooking, my whatever. What is it that you have to, you know? Yes. <laughs> in other words, you know, be thoughtful about, I might take criticism, mm, I might react to it more strongly than somebody else. So um, it's just being sensitive to the way your partner is wired, and it's always in the places where they're tender. It's not their strengths. That good. That's really good. Jennifer, you look like you had a question. Yeah, so we, this is just, a, I'm, I'm just going to ask for a recommendation for a book. Um, and thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, so we decided that we would use the, one of the gifts of this time would be that we would read a book together to help work on our marriage. Um, and, but we, the book we chose is not fantastic. So I just wondered if you have a favorite marriage and family book. And I know that's kind of vague because you don't know what particular issues, but if anything stands out. Um, well, at the risk of just jumping right in, probably the most popular Christian book out there would be Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage, which you've probably heard of. Um, I don't agree with absolutely everything, but 99% right on. The best secular book would probably be Sue Johnson's Hold Me Tight, which talks about um, our need for secure attachment. Um, so if you read both of those books and follow what they say, you guys are going to be golden. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? I, I will just <laughs> offer in, uh, Paul, that uh, I, th I think this is a time that, that to that we're creating new rituals in our marriage and that we'll probably look back on this time that, that hey there were some really good things that happened and that really helped them to make our, our marriage that much richer and i you know for us it's just little things it's like 
uh, Jill and I never really are, are TV watchers, but we decided, well, we're really going to finish. This is us. You know, this, I don't know how many of you watched the, this is us. The, uh, anyway, we think it's fantastic. And so we're, uh, we're now into season four, uh, just, you know, just something we do before we go to bed. And the other thing is I have decided that every night before I go to bed, I'm going to play one song on the guitar. I don't have a great voice and I'm not a great guitar player, but it really does. Um, I don't know. It puts me in a different space. So, you know, develop little rituals that, that just give you, what's the word? Give you health. Yeah. It's, fits a little bit into the structure and routine that Paul was talking about before. I want to be careful not to set the standard too high, but I don't think we can do enough of music that we find comforting, sacred music, secular music, but it's a way, even if we're busy taking care of kids, we can have music playing. There's an app called Praise You Go that gives you some scripture and some music in the background that for those of you who have young kids, it's not always easy to get what I call time in the green chair with your Bible and your cup of coffee. And it sounds so lovely, but we can be listening to it because what we feed our ears is just as important. Um, and I did have one other suggestion because Great. it's come up several times today, which is anything that we ask of our partner can come across as either an invitation or a demand. And anything that you want to say as a, a demand, no matter how frustrated, you can make it into an invitation. And the way you know that you're getting it right is an invitation makes the person lean toward you, either literally or metaphorically speaking, and the demand makes them push away. So being aware of this, wow, whatever I want to say, I'm so frustrated, you know, with, you know, the fact that Rick tracked his muddy shoes in the house, which didn't happen today, but let's just say it did. I mean, I can say something that's like, I'm sick and tired of you doing your muddy shoes, or I could say something like, hey, you know, would you help me out with this? I'm, I'm finding it hard because we live in such a small place. Um, could you join me in leaving the shoes outside? You know, so I'm just thinking if you have a mental idea, okay, anything I need to say is going to come out of my mouth as a demand or an invitation. That's good. Any other questions? It's good to see all your faces on here. Um, I really appreciate the simplicity of some of your suggestions, actually. Like, I know we have, um, we have some of our pastors actually on this call with me. And uh, the, some of the more seasoned couples on this call, what, what I've learned by doing life with them is they have fun together. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but pretty much they all very intentionally goof around. Um, and uh, so the McSwains, hey guys, and uh, the Amendolias and the Kramers, and they, they all like, they play together. And so I really appreciate that. One of the things that um, we do marriage panels once or twice a year with some of our couples, uh, Jill and Rick, where in lieu of a sermon, I will just interview three or four couples and just hear their story. And, and hopefully we can get kind of um, handles that we can take with us or best practices. 
And Steve and Kim really said something a couple of years ago that struck us. Um, we were heading towards our 20th year of marriage and we had this dream of a big trip. And for different reasons, we weren't able to take it. But thankfully, I think the year before that, Steve and Kim had, had just said, hey, with kids in the house, it's really hard. It was hard for them when the kids were in the house to do the big, big dream trip as a couple. So what they started doing was doing like you know, two night outings or something and, uh, and just slicing it thinner, slicing those you know, um, significant moments thinner and make them, making them more accessible. And so that, that was really helpful, simple advice. And when we're able to do that beyond the pandemic, it really is a, a major gift for our relationship. Um, I also love what you said about the criticism and the abandonment, abandonment stuff. I think just to help everyone on this call, if you leaving this call um, can even begin to articulate where you go in moments of disconnection, and then be able to not only own that, say, oh, like, you know what? There is something, there's a raw spot of a, abandonment with me. So when we don't make up at the end of the night, I feel like I'm going to die. Like it is awful. Um, if you're able to articulate that, not even understand all of it, but even be able, be able to say um, that's kind of my tendency. And then, you know, when the heat is a little lower, be able to bring that to your spouse it creates, um, it, 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 you're taking the gloves off and really showing your heart. And it just creates connection in a deeper level. So I would encourage each one of us to just, uh, we're going to see the worst of ourselves through this pandemic. Uh, I quoted you, Rick, last week in a sermon about the whole, we're like coconuts. And like during the pandemic, we're all spilling out. We're going to see some of the worst. But these could be the best of times. I, I think what's ironic, or I guess paradoxical about the gospel, is it's actually in our worst moments that God's love actually enters in. It, um, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so Christ's power may rest in me. I actually think you could stretch that out into a marriage when we're able to be vulnerable and say, oh my gosh, like when you do that, it really stings. So I'll just out ourselves. So I'm the pursuer, Carly's the withdrawer, I'm the sponge. Basically, I am. Okay, whatever. No, went off the rails. Um, and we kind of enter that silent treatment mode. Can you still hear me guys? Okay. When things go off the rails, um, and we're not talking, I, I feel utterly alone. And to Jill's point, if I come in and, and just say something quickly without thinking about it, I could, I could crush Carly's spirit. The demand versus the invitation. Yes. 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 Yeah. It happens. It yeah. happens. So the point being, as we're able to actually articulate, hey, here's what, I, I own that, I apologize for that. Or Carly can say, man, that, that really stung and it's, it's making me want to retreat. And, and we get into the cycle. If we're able to say, oh, here's my thing, here's your thing, we're going in the cycle. 
that that's the gift of God's grace then can enter in. And the goal of, of all of this is not perfection, but presence. Mm-hmm. A lasting marriage is built on, like Jill said, safety and trust and presence. You're able to come back to each other over and over again. And, um, and, and just stick around and, and stay with one another and give grace, receive grace, you know, all of that stuff. And if you did the Bible in one year today, that's what Nikki Gumbel talked about too. Just the gift of God's presence. Um, so with that, I would love to, Rick, could you close us in a word of prayer? Sure. I was looking for if I had the, there's a COVID prayer that someone uh, sent to me that I really love, but I didn't bring it with me, so I can't I can't do that one. Uh, uh, dear Lord, thank you for this conversation. Thank you that you your technology brought us all together. What a gift that is! And I thank you for Paul and Carly and for this wonderful church and for this community. May you bless them mightily in the days and years to come. And Lord, may you bless every marriage uh, that's represented on this call and the kids that are part of it. And may we, when all this is coming out the other side, may we all be stronger marriages, stronger individuals, and men and women who lean on you much more than we did before. So Lord, we, we put this all to you and we thank you for the grace that you give us. Help us to give grace to our spouses. And in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much guys. Um, we can, we'll just do a clap or spear fingers, whatever you want. You can do them together. Uh, we love you guys. And um, we can't wait for you to move to Charleston. There's the invi- It's an invitation. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> You never know. Uh, in one fellowship, we love you guys. Uh, uh, you're not alone. If you need anything, please reach out to us. I love Trisha's heart. I'm not good at that. Mine looks like <laughs> mine looks like a grapefruit. Yeah, um, uh, anyway, we love you guys. Please know you're not alone. We're here for you, and everyone is here for one another. Okay. So, um, with that, thanks for joining us, and have a wonderful night.